to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. We need to pray. And um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this message that we're now going to share. God, we pray that you would just undertake in every way. That God, you would speak to our hearts. You would speak to our lives today. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Incidentally, Daniel, happy birthday, sir. Andy, happy birthday. How many else has got a birthday this year? Let me see. Happy birthday to you all. Don't want to miss anyone out. So there you go. We're going to continue our message this morning on Salvation Unplugged. Luke came up to me Wednesday night after he'd heard me mention the title of the message. And he came up to me and he says, Dad, why are you unplugging salvation? He was kind of distressed about the thought because in his mind, if you unplug something, you turn it off. You take the power out of it. And he was like, Dad, why would you be doing that? But I explained to him the reason we have titled this series like this is so many times we can say words. We can say things that we are. I'm a Christian. And thank God for that. But we forget the true meaning, what's behind the words that we say. Do I hear an amen? So what we're really doing when we're saying we're unplugging salvation, by no means are we taking any power from it because it's all powerful and it's all mighty and it's all great and wonderful. But what we're doing is we're kind of stepping beneath the surface and we're just having a look and discovering the greatness of really what it is, the greatness that so often that we have forgot. Our scripture we've been using is Hebrews 2 verse 3 and the word of God tells us this, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, can I put that in my own words today? And that is this, what hope do we have for our lives if we neglect, if we take for granted the awesomeness of the gift of salvation that God has made available to every one of us? There is no escape except through salvation. We talked about this last week, and I don't want to go back there, but there's only one way to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes except through me or by me. There's no escape except through salvation. And that's why we are teaching on the value of the greatness of what it really is. And tonight or today, I want to really talk about four conditions of neglect. Unfortunately, four areas where we can neglect personally in every one of our lives, how we can neglect the experience, the salvation experience. It's not just a decision. We made a decision to accept Christ that day. I'm sure most of you can remember that day, that time. A great decision that was made, but now it's an experience that we can live in every day and it can get greater and greater and greater and greater. So how do we neglect that experience? We're going to look at four ways today. Number one, 
We neglect so great a salvation when we minimize its greatness. Say with me, greatness. When we minimize the greatness outside of life, the breath that we have in our bodies, the greatest gift that God has given to every one of us is the gift of salvation. It's a new opportunity for every one of us to get it right. And here's the blessing. God doesn't just say, get it right. He says, let me help you to make it right. He's there with us, leading us and guiding us through our lives. God gave his best when he gave his son to come and die for every one of us. But here's the problem I think we have many times. And the problem is this. When something costs us nothing, we tend to lose what? It tends not to mean as much as what it really should. Let me give you an example. When we were growing up as kids and we turned 17, because you have to be 17 to drive in England. When we turned 17, I didn't get a car given to me. Our car that my sister and I had to share was my mum's car. So it wasn't like, here's my car. It was my mum's car. It was a Nissan Bluebird. You don't have them over here. It's similar to a Maxima, but we thought it was a great car. The only problem was we weren't paying for the car. It really wasn't our car. So if someone knocked it, if someone dinged it, if someone scratched it, no big deal. Mum's car, not mine. One of the conversations mum would have with us very often was this. Philip, you need to wash that car. Philip, you need to clean that car. Now, I'm pretty good at keeping cars clean, but my sister, come on, do I hear an amen, was a different story. But the car was dirty. But you see, I didn't see the value or the worth in really keeping it clean because it didn't really cost me anything. But the day I bought my first car... It was a Mitsubishi Galant. It was white. It had alloy wheels. It was leather. It had a sunroof. Man, I thought I was pimping it when I was driving down the street in that thing. Man, I loved it. I kept it clean. You know, I did everything I could. Why? No one had to tell me to keep that clean because I was paying for that thing. In fact, it broke my heart one day when I was washing it and I realized someone had dinged my door. Is anyone a door dinger in here? If you are, we're going to pray for you to get saved. Because there's a place in hell, I think, for door dingers. You know what I'm talking about? Those who open their doors and leave those marks. And I remember washing that car and was so excited about this wonderful gift that God had given me. And then I get to this place. And I'll be honest with you right now. That was almost a sleepless night that night. Because every time then I walked past that car, I didn't see the whole car. I saw what? That one ding. And it absolutely broke my heart. Why? Because I paid for that. Isn't it sad that when we can look at the greatness of salvation, it's a whole lot greater than a car. And we can look at the greatness of salvation, but because it didn't cost us anything, because it was freely given to us, we can just kind of blow it off and not really really grasp and we can minimize the greatness of what it really is and take it so for granted. But listen to me, it was freely given to us, but the price that it was paid wasn't free. Jesus gave his life to buy us back and to redeem us back. So I want to look today at the greatness of salvation. I want us to discover really what salvation is. And we're going to be talking next week about what salvation will do in your life. It's going to be another great message that's going to take us through this salvation experience. But here's what I want to say about salvation is this. Salvation is illogical. It's illogical. Now, hopefully we all know what that means, but something that is logical 
is something that can be worked out, it can be solved, it can be reasoned. It's something that can make sense or can be made sense of. So something as logical as we can grasp a hold of it in our minds. Salvation is not something we can grasp in our natural minds. Why? Because you can't figure it out with the natural mind. What logic is there in the fact that a person can be a mass murderer? Or that person can be the most awful person on the face of the earth? Or a person can be someone like you were? And guess what? Finds Jesus. Meets Jesus. And guess what happens? Immediately. Say with me, immediately. Come on, we are forgiven, and guess what? We are totally changed. Wow, salvation can do that. In our human minds, we think, well, how can I be? Because I've got this, and I've got that, and I've done this. But God says, no, when you ask for forgiveness in a moment's time, you go from worst to first. Come on, that's how awesome salvation is. Yes, there's still some consequences earthly that we have to face for the wrong decisions and the wrong choices that we have made. But before God, we have a new start. But yet we minimize the greatness of that. Really think about that. In a moment, God completely changed us. We were completely forgiven. One minute we were blank. Fill in the blank, I wonder, of your life. One moment you were what? Blank. But in the next moment, guess what? You're a child of the king. You are changed in a moment. And you can't have to say it, but I'm going to say that today. Wow. I'm going to say it again. Wow. And I'm going to say it backwards. Wow. Come on. That's something awesome that every one of us needs to be a part of. Nothing else in this world even comes close to that. And anything and everything that says it can change your life is false advertising. There's only one thing that can change your life. And that's Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Hebrews 6 verse 9. The Bible tells us this, But beloved, or beloved, that we can be loved in God. We are confident of, say with me, better things. Come on, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that what? Accompany your salvation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, and look what it says in the New Living Translation. I like it. It says, dear friends, even though we are talking like this. Now, the reason they are talking like this is if you would read verse 1 through 8, you would see that the children of the the, the book has been written to, they had wandered away from God. They weren't living like they should. They weren't following God's instructions. They were living a life that was producing worthlessness, a useless results in their lives. So he says, dear friends, even Even though you are talking like this, you're living like this, you're being like this. Guess what he goes on to say? We really don't believe that it applies to you. Because we are confident that you are meant for better things. Come on, you are meant for better things, things that come with your salvation. I believe today everyone in this place needs to hear this. You are meant for greater, better things because of the salvation that God has for your life better things. So what accompanies those things? What are those things? What comes with your salvation? Unfortunately for most of us, if we were to dissect our lives and the salvation experience we live, here's what would accompany most of our lives. Negativity, gossip, mediocrity, doubt, fear, 
unforgiveness. Listen to this one. Meanness. Tightness. Evil. Do you begin to see the picture here? It's not the picture that salvation wants to bring in our lives. That's not the rewards that salvation wants to bring. But the Bible says there are better things that can accompany our lives. Can I tell you some of the better things that salvation wants to bring to your life? Peace. Joy. Happiness. Faith. Prosperity. Blessings, love, a change. Come on, you're going to walk different. You're going to talk different. Come on, there's a hope that comes in your life. Why? Because salvation wants to be accompanied with better things. Now, does that mean we'll never have bad days? No. We're still going to have tough times. But when the tough times come, guess what? We'll know we're going to make it to the other side. On Wednesday, I posted this on Facebook. And this is a great little saying that I read this week. And it says this, don't get stuck in a stage that was only meant to be part of the process. Don't get stuck in a stage that was only meant to be part of the process. We're going to have hard times. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have moments when things aren't going according to our plan and what we want. But don't get stuck there. It's part of the process. It's part of the process of salvation, that God's using those things to change us, to define us, to help us, to build us. But yet we minimize the greatness of what salvation is. And we've got to watch because as we discovered last week in Hebrews 2 verse 1, if we don't give earnest heed to these things, we're going to drift away. So salvation is illogical. We can't figure it all out. And I'm glad about that because if I had to figure it all out, I would never have it. But it's not something I have to figure. It's something that I have to receive. Something I have to open my heart and say, God, would you give that to me? Let me show you what else salvation is. Say with me, wholeness. Come on, salvation is wholeness. It's an incredible word right there. I'm not going to ask you to look and read the whole story, but write this scripture down, Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. Read the story when you get home. But 10 lepers came to Jesus. Leprosy was a very common sickness, a disease of those times. Symbolic now and used many times in reference to sin, how it will eat away your body, how it will decay you. And ultimately, leprosy physically would blind people, how sin is that which blinds your life. So here they are, people, 10 lepers have come to Jesus. He doesn't lay hands on them. He doesn't even pray for them. But he says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. The priests of those days were the ones that would deem them either clean or unclean. Go and show yourself to the priests. In verse 14, you would read, it says, And as they went, they were made whole. Okay? As they went, they were cleansed. But the Bible says only one came back to give thanks. And look what it says in verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you what? Well, say with me if you would today, sozo. Come on, say it nice and loud, sozo. You just are speaking a different language there. That's Greek for that word, well. Jesus said, go your way, your faith has made you sozo. That word means whole. It's used in reference to salvation. As a result of your faith and your salvation, something now has taken place in your life. You are now made whole. I want to tell you something, and you need to understand this. Salvation is not just about being rescued. Thank God that he rescued every one of us. 
Come on, at least I would have thought someone would have said amen right there. Thank God he rescued us. But the salvation experience is not just about being rescued or saved, but it's also about being made whole and it's about being made complete. God wants to complete you. He wants to make you whole. Psalms 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack, I shall not be in need in my life. God wants to make you whole in your life. So many of us look and say, well, you know what, if I only just had that job, if only I could get them to marry me, If only they could see the value in me like I see in them. If only I could get this new house. If only, then what? Then I would be whole. My life would be complete. I would have everything. Listen to me. You will never find wholeness in a new location. You will never find wholeness in a new job. You'll never find wholeness in a person. You will only find wholeness in Jesus Christ. You will only find completeness in salvation. Salvation wants to make you complete. I remember right over here, Trey stood one day. His life was lost. He didn't know what was going on. And he said yes to Jesus. And in a moment, Jesus turned his life all around. He was going to join the Air Force the next day because he thought, maybe I'll get some structure in my life if I do that. I don't know what's going on in my life. I just know I'm out of control. I've got to do something about it. But when he surrendered, as we're going to see his captaincy over to Jesus Christ, God came in and began to complete him, began to make him whole. Listen, none of us are there yet, but we're in the process as God is changing us, transforming us and renewing us. Now the Bible doesn't tell us this in this story, but I really believe this happened. That when that man went back to Jesus, I believe not only spiritually was he made whole, I believe physically he was made whole. I believe fingers grew back on his hands. I believe toes grew back on his feet. I believe his nose came back, that which the leprosy had eaten, that his sight was perfectly restored. Why would you say that? Because I'm telling you, when you have an encounter with God, you are never the same. Come on, you go in one way and you leave complete. Come on, he wants to make you whole. He wants to make you whole. So why would we want to minimize that? Why would we want to minimize the greatness of that? Look what it says in Philippians 1 verse 6. His word says, Being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work. Say with me, good work. He that began a good work in you, not your neighbor, your spouse, your husband, the pastor, those around you. God says, I want to do a good work in you. I want to begin and we can have a confidence of knowing that he who began a good work, he's going to be faithful. Aren't you glad that God's faithful even when we're not faithful? Come on, do I hear an amen? God is faithful to complete us, to make us whole, sozo, to save us, to make us complete, lacking nothing. If we choose not to neglect the involvement in it. So no wonder people don't see the work of God in their lives because they minimize God down to their size. Come on, God is bigger than you. God is more able than you. Come on, the Word of God says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. But yet the picture we have so many times is Christ shrunk down to be inside of us. Here's the thought that you've got to grab a hold of is this. You're not what... Christ is not in you. You're in Christ. Come on, that's what you've got to see. You're in Christ. Come on, that means all things are possible. Come on, that means everything's available to every one of you. Come on, the greatness that you have in salvation blows your mind. Come on, it's incredible. It's illogical. I can't figure it all out. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's great. But yet, why do I minimize that? Why do we minimize that and take it so for granted? 
The second condition of neglect that we see in our lives is this. We neglect our salvation when we choose to live outside of its parameters. When we want to live outside of its boundaries. When we want to, You see, so many people have labeled Christianity as a list of do's and don'ts. All I would say to that is this. They've never experienced Christ. Because when you've experienced Christ, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about what I have to do. It's about what I choose now to do. Come on, it's because my desires have changed. I begin to realize, you see, Christianity is guidelines. It is instructions, but what? It's instructions for living. It's instructions for blessing in our lives. We used this illustration last week. But if my kid's coming into the kitchen with me and the stove is hot, come on, no parent who's loving would turn around and let their kid touch a boiling stove. But people tell us now that that's not love if we tell them not to do that. Come on, that's love when we are what? Instructing them of harm that could be caused. So stay away. That's the guidelines. That's the limits, if you want to say. And they're not limits because they're not restrictions. They're blessings. But that's the guidelines of Christianity. What? It's to save us from harm. It's to save us from pain. It's to save us from misery. And I'm telling you right now, 100% sure, and that is this, every problem that you've ever experienced in your life has because you stepped out of the parameters of what God has for you. You were the one that wanted to go your way and we're going to see that when we choose to be the boss and we want to do things. You see, it's a manual. It's a roadmap. We were laughing about this in the nine o'clock service. Kelly and I moved into a new house in September. We'd never got any furniture for the office. We went to Office Depot, saw some really nice furniture, thought, wow, that will look really good in our office and we bought it and then they brought it to us in a flat pack. Anyone know what flat pack is all about? Come on, tell me right now. Flat pack means that this beautiful desk with credential and everything was in a box about this flat and about so long. I opened up that box and thought, my God, what are we going to do? We'd bought shelves, we'd bought a desk, we'd bought something else and something that literally took us three nights to get it all put together. And we're pretty good. I'm pretty good at stuff. Take HH and join it to HT. And the little stickers on those things are about this big. And you've got to try and look all over to find, come on, you know what I'm talking about. And the pack, listen to me, there was about six to seven feet of plastic little sections all the way where every screw we needed for every step of the way was in this big roll. And I was like, oh my God, what have we done? It's worth paying 50 bucks to get someone to build it for you. But then the only problem is you've got to get it home. You know what I'm saying? So we had to flat pack it. It took us a long time. But I'm telling you right now, thank God. And I thought I'd never say this. Thank God for instructions. Because I'm pretty good at not doing things with instructions. I've been told that's a man thing. I don't know if that's true. But we like to try and figure it out without reading the instructions. But thank God for those instructions. You know what? I don't look at that desk and say, man, those instructions really limited me. I look at those instructions and say, thank God the drawer is in the right place and the cupboard door is where it needs to be and everything is functional and happening because I followed the instructions. You know what? If I hadn't have followed the instructions, God only knows. God only knows. Can anyone say duct tape? It probably would have figured in somewhere. Probably would have been in there somewhere. And I'd have had to tell Kelly and lie, oh, they just give you extra screws for no reason. But thank God 
for the instructions. Why do I say that? Because we look and we say, oh, I don't like that. You know, if only I could take this out of the Bible and do that. Listen, you're going to have a drawer in the wrong place. You're going to have a door without a cupboard. Is that right? A door, a cupboard without a door. There you go. Something you, you would have a door without a cupboard, cupboard without a door if you don't have the instructions. But you see, salvation is not living in the gray areas. Salvation is living in the black and white areas. If you and I would just take time today and you would realize what is available, thanks Pete, in salvation. If you would take time just to look for a few moments about how should I be in my marriage? How should I treat my spouse? What should my attitude be? What about my finances? How should I manage my finances? What about my work ethic? What about my actions? If you would just take a moment to read God's word, you would see clearly in black and white that God instructs us how to live. God gives us the keys of life that we can live by. Very clear and defined. But yet, what do we do? We try to compromise that. We try to kind of skew it a little bit and say, well, God didn't really. And oh, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. So we tried to. The Bible says that it's a living, it's alive. You know what something a living and alive is? It means it's still just as real today as the moment it was written. And you know, I thank God for that. And we can look and we can turn around and say, well, I don't agree with this and I don't agree. Listen, you choose to live outside of the parameters of God and you see what begins to happen in your relationships, in your marriage, in your home, in your finances. You see what begins to happen. There is sense in following God. Every one of you here today has a testimony of living a life outside of the parameters. And let me ask you right now, what life would you choose? Come on, what life would you choose? You would choose right now where you're at. Yeah, there's still some problems. There's some things going on. So don't tell me that limitations are a bad thing. Thank God for the parameters of the gospel because now my life is going somewhere. Someone said parameters are like a riverbank. They direct your life in the way it should go. You know what happens when a river overflows its banks? Causes devastation. Causes loss. Causes destruction. Wow, my life can be like that. And I don't only destroy my life, I can destroy others. As a parent, I can destroy my kids. As a grandparent, I can destroy my kids and my grandkids. As a worker, I can destroy the other people around me. Listen, it's not just us that's been affected. We've got to live in the parameters. A parameter that wants to produce obedience in our life. A life that's pleasing to God. Godly living. So why would we want to keep pushing against the boundaries? I've got to move on, but someone said this, parameters are like the barrel of a gun. If we try to break through the sides, it would be dangerous and it's going to inflict harm. But if we follow its path, it's going to project us a long way. Think about that. It's like the barrel of a gun. If we follow its path, it's going to project us a long way. Living within its parameters gives us the potential to go a long way with God. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who find it, but narrow is the gate and difficult or confined or straight is the way which leads to life and there be few that find it. But like I said last week, that may be a narrow way. It may be a narrow door, but I'm telling you, it's wide enough for the entire world if they will choose to go through it. And instead of us saying, oh, I don't like all the restrictions, I don't like all this. You know what? We need to throw our hands in the air and say, thank God for providing me a sure way to get to you. 
Thank God for giving me the truth of your word, that I don't have to burn my hand on this stove. And how many knows that the burning that's going to be future tense is going to be a whole lot worse than just a hand that's burnt on a stove? As the Bible says, there's a lake of fire that's going to go be there for those who don't accept Christ. We're trying to save people. When you're living within the right parameters, your life will also be attractive to other people around. Condition of neglect, number three, is when you desire to be the boss. Now, don't nudge your wife right now, guys. But when you desire to be the boss, when you want to be in charge, you want to call the shots, you want to be in control. I'm sure every one of us has a problem here with this. We just want to control. You know, it's my life. Has anyone ever said that? It's my life. It's my decisions. And I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Come on, if you're a woman, you'd shake your head a little bit and put your finger out a little bit. Or put your hands on your hip. Because we've all said that. We've all come to that place in our life where we say, you know what, I want control of my life. But you know what? We minimize the greatness of salvation when we desire to be the boss, when we're not meant to be the boss. We're not meant to be the one. In Hebrews 2 verse 10, reading from the New Living Translation, it says this, And it was only right that God, who made everything, and for whom everything was made, should bring many children into his glory. Through the suffering of Jesus, God made him Capital H, Jesus, what? A perfect leader. Say that with me, a perfect leader. The New King James says he made him the captain of my salvation. Jesus is the perfect leader. He's the captain of my salvation. He's the one who is what? The one fit to bring me into my salvation. Listen, if I just trust God, if I just trust that he knows the best way, that he's the boss, that he's the captain of my life, he's going to take me in the right places. I don't know if you've ever played sports. I loved playing sports. I was on a lot of teams. And one thing I've realized in sports is this. You've got to have a captain. You've got to have someone in control. And that's established before the game starts. In the middle of the game, you're not saying, well, who's in control today? You know who's in control at the beginning of the game. And the reason that person's in control is when there's decisions that have to be made, they're the one that has to make it. Yeah, they can ask advice from everyone else around, but at the end of the day, they're the ones that has to make the decision and they have to live with that decision. Isn't it amazing that in our life, we try to run our lives as a committee? We try to think that we and God are equal. And I've got as much say in my life as what God has. Can I tell you again, if you have more say or just as much say in your life as God has, you're minimizing the greatness of your salvation and you're going to be in trouble. You know, there was that silly bumper sticker that they had on cars years ago that said, God is my co-pilot. Anyone remember those? Sounds good. You know, we like the sound of that. But theologically, that is so off base. It's not even funny. You know what a co-pilot is? A co-pilot is someone, if the pilot gets tired, he's the just-in-case person. So if the pilot in the middle of the flight needs to get up and have a break, he's feeling tired, what will he say? You take over for a minute and I'll be right back. Come on, what a silly image or picture we have of Christ if he's our co-pilot. God, I'll handle it until I need you. And when I need you, I'll hand it over to you for a little bit, but I'll be right back. How many knows the problem is you're in the cockpit? The problem is we're in the cockpit. We need to get out of the cockpit, realize that he's not the co-pilot, he's the pilot. And guess what? You're not even the co-pilot. Just get out of the cockpit so you can enjoy the journey of life. But yet we want to call all the shots. We want to be the one that's the boss. There's a great story in Luke chapter 14. 
In Luke chapter 14, I haven't got the scripture, but read it for yourself. Verse 15 through 33. It's a parable that Jesus gives and I know time is gone. But let me paraphrase this parable quickly. A man throws a feast. He's invited guests. It's time for the wedding feast. So he goes and sends his servants out to all the invited guests. He goes to three of the guests and here's the excuse they bring. One turned around and says, I can't come. I've just bought a piece of land. The second one turned around and says, I can't come. I've just bought some oxen and I have to go and try them out. And another guy, he says, I can't come because I've just married a wife. Three excuses right there. Three reasons why they wouldn't come. But I want to tell you today, this is a parable. This is something that Jesus was teaching us, something in this that we need to see. It's a heavenly story or an earthly story that has heavenly implications, spiritual implications. What he is seeing is the three excuses they used are three areas where God wants to bless your life. The first area, the guy says, I just bought some land, I can't come. How many realize that God wants to bless you with possessions, with, with things, with just blessings in your life? God wants to give you those things. The second part was, he said, I've bought an oxen. Oxen speaks about his work, you know, the, the fact that he could work, his livelihood, you know, his business, his education, his career. God wants to bless us in those areas. Come on, God wants to bless us with jobs and God wants us to be faithful workers and God wants us to provide for our homes. Do I hear an amen? Help me out in the house. The third area was, the man said, I just have married a wife. God wants to bless us with family. Blessings that God wants to give us. Possessions, career, family. But listen to this. But what is presented as being a blessing when God is not in control will be the reason that will keep us out. I want to say that again. What can be a blessing to us? A job? A great family? Possessions? What can be a blessing to us and to our lives? If we don't allow God to be in control of those things, guess what? They're going to be the excuse that's going to keep us out from the kingdom of God. Because he wasn't talking about a feast. He was talking about the kingdom of God. And think about that. And you and I need to hear that. Blessings come as a result of God's favor upon your life. The blessings you have today come as a result of he's in control. Come on, the blessings don't come because of you. Thank God you've got to be obedient, you've got to work, but it's because of him. Come on, that blessings come. Be careful how you use those blessings. And condition of neglect, number four, almost done, is this. When you start to mess with his plan. Come on, I want you to hear this today. God has a plan for your life. God has a blueprint for your life. God knows that your life is going somewhere. Before you were born, read it in Psalms 139. Before you were born, God had a plan for your life. Your life was scripted out. The best pathway that God had for every one of our lives. Look what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the thoughts or the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future, to give you a hope. But how do I discover that? A lot of people come and say, Okay, that's the plan. How do I know the will of God? How can I discover what God has for my life? Let me help you with a scripture today from Hebrews 12 and verse 2. The Bible says that to discover the plan, the purpose that God has for our life, here's a good place to start looking unto Jesus. 
Come on, I think that's a good place to start, to look to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That means he's the author, he's the writer, he's the originator, he's the one that set the script in place. We can look to him. He's the author, but he's not only the author, what is he? He's the finisher. Come on, say with me, perfecter. He wants to perfect. He wants to complete. He wants to make whole. Come on, he's the beginning. He's the end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. I wonder today if you've ever stopped and wondered if your words, actions, and your attitude are lining up with the script that God has for your life. Your attitude, your words, your actions. Are they lining up with the script that God has for your life? Because here's where most of us fall victim. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man. But guess what? It may look right. It may feel right. We may say, oh, that's what God has for me. But God says, if it's not his plan, if it's not his way, the end thereof is what? Death. It may seem right, but look again. Mr. Huss used to have this saying when we were doing all this work around the church and he would always, Mr. Huss has got so many sayings. If you've ever met Mr. Huss, we all quote him nearly every week. But Mr. Huss would say these words, measure twice, cut once. Good advice right there. Measure once, measure twice, cut once. Because if you don't measure twice, you're going to be cutting twice. Come on, make double sure of what you're cutting in your life. And sometimes we're going to go through things in life that we don't understand. Other times we're going to go through things we know exactly why we're there because of the wrong decisions, choices or decisions of others. We know. But whether we are there because we don't understand or we're there because we do understand, the answer or the way out is the same. And you know that is? To keep trusting God, keep looking unto God and to keep following his path and trust in his life. I may not see it. When David's running in a wilderness and he's hiding, he's not seeing the plan of God. But you know what? God was setting him up for greatness. You may not see everything at that time, but I'm telling you right now, you've got to trust his plan. When we start messing with God's plan, that's when problems happen. Last scripture today, Hebrews 2 verse 8 and 9 says this, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that we put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. What that's basically saying is God's in control of everything. Come on, I said everything is in subjection to God. It's under his feet. But then the last part says is we don't always see everything that's put under him. We don't always see the fact that he's in control. So many times we maybe think, God, you've left me. You've forsaken me. Why am I facing this? I'm sure Joseph thought that many times along the way. God, I don't see it. Where are you at? But here's the key. Here's the clincher. When you don't always see it, here's what you must see. Look what the verse 9 begins with. But we see Jesus. You've got to see Jesus. You've got to keep looking to the author and the finisher of your faith.
You got to keep trust in his plan. You got to realize that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You got to realize that he hasn't taken you this far to leave you right now. You got to realize that he's going to do, he's going to be true to his word. You got to realize that you can trust him no matter what the storms, the trials, the tribulations. He can be the fourth man in the middle of a fiery furnace. Come on, he can be your way of escape when you need the trouble and you're going through all these things. Why? Because you got to trust his plan. To trust God. How easy is it without even realizing to neglect our salvation? How easy is it to minimize its greatness? How easy is it to live outside of its parameters? How easy is it to want to take control and be the boss? How easy is it to want it your way and not his way? And here's the sad thing. Then we blame God. Did you catch that? Then we blame God. Blame God because things are falling apart and this is not happening and that. The reality is the salvation experience wants to work inside of us to complete us. we just got to trust God. We've got to let him be in control. We've got to know that he knows our end from our beginning. Aren't you glad about that today? He knows my end from my beginning. He knows everything about me. He knows the things that I don't even like about me. But he's going to make a way of escape for every one of us. Come on, don't neglect that salvation. Don't minimize its greatness. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.